This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey guys, welcome back to the show, and I hope you guys have been enjoying these podcast episodes from Jim Moeller. It's um, it's been mind blowing, um, it's been eye opening, and all of you guys have been saying the exact same thing. Uh, I my DMs on Instagram have blown up, my messages on Facebook have blown up. I've got emails from guys. I know a lot of you guys are ordering. That was never the intent is to get you guys to order those chokes, but the proof is in the pudding, and I have done pattern test videos and I will be shooting that. If you guys have not seen the pattern test video I did out of my Franke Affinity 20 gauge, you will be blown away at the results that I got out of this. And again, it's, we weren't, if you listen to the episodes, it wasn't like our intent and our end goal was to sell chokes or sell his chokes. It was just to talk about the facts. And we really didn't even talk about his chokes a lot, to be honest with you, except for the fact of how all the geometry that goes into it and how much it matters and how perfect they have to be to be what they need to be and that they're made for specific guns, not just because of the threads, but because it's designed and made. Anyways, that being said, I did want to let you guys in on a huge offer that we're offering again this year with Motion Ducks, our partner. You got to go to motionducks.com forward slash MVN, MVM, Mid Valley Mercenaries, MVM. Put that in. You'll pull up a site. You get the ultimate spreader with the amazing dill, and uh, it can move seven ducks at one time off one jerk rig. It's the best motion ducks uh, dill out there, in my opinion. That's why we've used it for so long. But you get that dill, and you get a free anchor bag with it to hold the decoys in place. And this is the kicker that makes it even better. If you put our code in, MidValley, all one word, uh, it changed. So if you guys were using that old code, it's not going to work anymore. But the new code is MidValley. And you'll get an additional 10% off already the deal that he's given us. So go check that out. And by the way, I just want to throw this out there. It does help support the show because when those sell, um, it does help us. And that being said, I would not just promote them so I can get money or whatever. Um, I believe in them. I would never work this kind of deal. But we've been partnered with them for five years. So by you guys going in and using our code, it definitely helps out. So I appreciate that. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. I know you will. Someone that's making these chokes yourself talks about the knowledge that you have and why you made what you did and how you made it for specifically each gun. It was just, I mean, I think that alone just explains to people. And plus the knowledge that you have is like kind of, it just, it's, it stands for some big ground, you know? Yeah. My, my number one thing has never been to sell chokes. Mm -hmm. My, my number one thing is always to teach people. Mm. you know, and to help them and stuff. Like <clears throat> when I started my chokes, 
I started my chokes as an advantage for myself in competition, mm-hmm. right? The only reason I made my own chokes was number one, because I could, right? Because of what I did for a living. But the reason I made my own chokes is because I had to buy the eight modifieds from that other company to get to the pattern right. So it was out of necessity because what happened was once I had more money, because I literally spent every dollar I owned to buy those chokes at that time. Once I made my own chokes and saw what an improvement it was, because I literally, I thought that I just got lucky. And what it was, was it was just because I made such beautiful geometry on the chokes. I mean, everything was within like two ten thousandths of an inch. I polished them like mirrors. I mean, they were, they were, they shouldn't even been in a shotgun. They should have been framed, right? They were gorgeous, Mm -hmm. but they patterned amazingly well, better than I had ever seen out of anything before. It was like I drew the pattern on paper with a pencil. It was that even and uniform. And I'm like, did I just get really lucky or did I just come up with something that proves geometry is very important, right? Mm. Well, then it, it went a lot bigger than that. It was every gun needs something different. But I just happened to stumble onto a geometry that was very good in that gun right from the start. It could have been because of my knowledge of geometry and metals and machining. Or it could have just been luck, right? Out of the gate. But once I competed with those chokes for years and one shoots all over the country, I then was hearing complaints from everybody that were the same complaints I had. The chokes were too heavy. They threw the balance of the gun off, especially in an over and under, right? People are shooting 30, 32, 34 inch barrels and they're over and under. They're sticking these big, heavy, extended stainless steel or carbon Mm -hmm. steel chokes on their barrels that some of them weighed as much as 70 grams each. Mm. So it was like putting a decoy anchor on the end of your barrel and it it totally threw the the gun off the way it responded and the way it felt, right? So weight was an issue. Chokes loosened between stations. Mm -hmm. They rusted. They built up with plastic and carbon. They did not pattern the way they are marked. And people had other problems with them, right? Ammo limitations, all sorts of things. Chokes breaking, chokes cracking, chokes blowing out of barrels. So I'm like, this is ridiculous because I was here. I was having these issues, but I was hearing it from people all over the country at Mm -hmm. every single shoot. And what was amazing to me is I only squatted with like five or six people at a shoot at a competition. And I was hearing this from everybody, from every station. I mean, from every shoot at every squad. Right. And I'm like, it's like a hundred percent problem across the board. So that's when I developed my feather light chokes that I ended up patenting. And that was your first ones like you've ever made. Those were the first chokes that I actually made that were a huge benefit to me in competition that I held very close to myself. I would never let anybody even touch one. Okay. Because if I handed it to you and you picked it up, you'd be like, whoa, what is that plastic? And I didn't want anybody to know what my advantages were. Uh, because yeah, your competition. Right? Yeah. So so for years, I used those chokes. Never let it. I actually spray painted them so nobody knew what they were. <laughs> so, so when the economy tanked in 2008 and I lost all 51 aerospace defense companies, like overnight, I'm like, what am I going to do to help pay the bills? You know, right? like it was, it was literally like one week's time. I lost my entire income. So I'm like, I know these chokes are the best in the world because I fixed every problem choke tubes had. So I'm like, let me patent it. So it's safe. I'll bring it out of the closet and I'll see if it helps me pay any of my bills, you know, cause I needed something. And so that's what I did. I contacted a patent attorney. They wanted between ninety and one hundred and twenty thousand dollars to write a patent, and I'm like, "Well, that's not happening, especially no. with the downturn of the economy, right? right?" So I went to the library. I got a book that says how to patent, you know, how to write your own patent, and I wrote my own patent, and I got my patent, my patent pending number, which I felt was safe enough at the time to bring it out of the closet, um, which I did at a Christmas shoot in December of. Uh, um, 2009 and, uh, it just took off. Right. So 
shotgun world went haywire. The moderator called me, told me I needed to buy my own, my own blog or my own page because it was literally locking up their forums. Mm. And every time that they took it down, people would get angry and start new threads. So he asked me to buy my own, my own thing, which I did. And, um, it went viral and it just took off. So then I went to work in 16 hours a day, seven days a week in my machine shop, just making my chokes. Yeah. And that's how things really started to progress. And my goal after creating that and learning everything with all my testing, my goal was to go full circle someday and make a hunting choke because hunting is my passion. Right. Duck hunting. Mm. And, um, you know, I've hunted everything, but waterfowl is my passion. So I wanted to go full circle someday and create that. And uh, I tested them back in 2004. And then when I decided to start making them, I did the whole thing going through all the different guns, the different ammo, all the other chokes on the market until I fine tuned everything, just like I did with my patented feather lights for clay targets. And that's, that's why they work so well because of what I've put into them. Mm. I didn't just make a choke tube and stick it in the gun and say, here you go, man, it's improved cylinder. Right. It it was something you started with for yourself. And I mean, that, who cares more about, you know, not that you you're selfish, but like you were in competition. I mean, it mattered. It was kind of, um, part of your livelihood, you know? So, yeah. I, so I literally, you know, I, I couldn't I, find a choke tube that, that made sense. And I couldn't, I could not find a choke tube that did what I wanted it to do. Yeah. So I just, I fixed every problem they had. I improved on everything that was out there and that's why mine work the way mm-hmm. they do. Cause mm-hmm. I actually created that. Um, I wanted to ask you some, before we jumped some other bunch of other questions I had wrote down <clears throat> between the last episodes. Um, Yep. Oh, I know what it was. Uh, you're, I asked this before, but I think you probably, I probably didn't word it right. But as far as schooling and stuff go, what, I mean, what do you have? As, do you have degrees and stuff like that? I mean, obviously it sounds like you do. If you don't, then I'm really, really extra impressed, but cause yeah, you worked I, in aerospace. I know nothing, man. Nothing. <laughs> I, uh, in, so in 1988, I graduated out of, uh, uh, trade school. Okay tech school in Milford, Connecticut here as a machinist. Okay. So my senior year, I was on work study, working for an aerospace defense manufacturing company as a pre-apprentice. And I literally started with uh, a bottle of Dicom and a scriber and a pair of calipers and a micrometer and a bandsaw. And I literally went from you know, learning the basics with a file and manual machines um, to manual milling, manual turning, manual surface grinding, um, building fixtures and jigs and form grinding all the way to, um, you know, being one of the top grinders in the world, actually, Mm. for cylindrical grinding, um, sun and honing, and all types of finish work as far as lapping, polishing, grinding. And, um, I, through those years, I became a journeyman. Um, and then I ended up becoming an exotic alloy metallurgist, uh, mechanical engineer. And uh, I did that all on my own time, basically, in through working with somebody else. Wow. So I worked at a the same place for 18 years, um, where I ended up not only doing all the finishing work, but I ended up being uh, second in charge, second in command, basically supervisor. I ran the entire company when my boss wasn't there. Um, I was the quality control manager. So I inspected every job, first article, um, in process and final inspection for every job in the shop. Um, I tested all the critical flight critical components for the Black Hawk helicopters that I made. I went and did the Sikorsky test stand, signed the government documents. Um, so I, I pretty much did it all. And wow. throughout that time, I was blessed to learn a lot of different machining, um, tricks and trades, um, on a lot of classified materials and classified projects for DARPA, for the government. I've got parts on international space station. Um, I've got parts on the Hubble telescope as well as many, uh, defense things with the military helicopters, 
the S20, um, the F22 fighter jet. Wow. Um, I made the bearings for the turbo fan. So I, I've, I've done a lot of really cool stuff. Wow. That's awesome. And, um, yeah. So, so I went from, you know, learning pre-apprentice stuff from trade school right through into and through all of that stuff, holding millions of a tolerance, um, daily, my, um, my tolerances that I used to hold were less than a half a thousandth of an inch routinely <laughs> because I did all finished grinding and honing and polishing. So, uh, plus or minus 25 millionths of an inch was, was not something unheard of that I did. Wow. Huh, man, that's cool. That's crazy. That's a, I mean, honestly, I'll just be honest. You've been talking a lot of things you were saying is above my head <laughs> as far as yeah, I've never even heard of some of the verbiage that you're talking about the metal, yeah, metallurgic or whatever. You said. Different world. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you don't hear a lot of people that are in that, right? Like yep. there's just certain things in life. You're like, okay, I've never met nobody in that, but that's super interesting and intriguing. Um, yeah. Let's get into, I do have some questions. People, by the way, I was, wasn't planning on rolling into the podcast, but we're already rolling good. So, um, people gave really good feedback. Everybody really said, like I said, said it was eye opening. It was for me. I know that, um, kind of been lied to. I don't know. And I'm not going to say every ammo company was purposefully lying. I think there was a lot of lack of knowledge and understanding and they just heard what they heard. So then they fed off that, you know, and it just kind of trickles yeah. down the line. But um, they, so listeners sent in some questions, uh, kind of filtered through them. I know there's some probably I'm not going to ask, but um, before we go further, this is for me. The last one we talked a lot about still, and I think that covers a majority of hunter waterfowlers that shoot that. And I did for years and years. I would say the last probably four or five years is when I started shooting bismuth. So I'd like to dig into the bismuth world um, as far as patterning and testing that you've done. Uh, we were going to touch on on the last one, but we ran out of time. So is that something we can dig into now for a while? Absolutely. Yeah. Any any ammo you want to talk about, I've, I've tested it. I've used it extensively. I've dealt with most of the companies on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So I'm really familiar with, with things. Okay. Um, so I don't know if I really, we don't have to really go into a specific company or anything, but as far as just testing bismuth, what have you seen? Um, I mean, I feel like it's very lethal. I mean, it's a denser, it's heavier. Um, what are your thoughts on it? I know that it, if you speed it up too much, like you said, there can be some, um, I'm, this is probably not the right word, but breaking or, uh, fragment fragmenting. What are you, so, what are your thoughts on bismuth in general? So back when bismuth first hit the market, I'm going to say, uh, I don't know, we'll call it mid eighties, late eighties. Um, DuPont came out with it, right? It was, it was heavy, um, heavy shop back then, mm. um, owned by DuPont, I believe. Mm. And, you know, it had that really cool dark green box that said, um, bismuth on it, it had the picture of the mallard on it. And back then, I didn't feel it was any better than steel. Hmm. And I cannot say why it wasn't better than steel. I don't know if it was the quality of the bismuth. I don't know if it was the way they loaded it. Back then, I never tested with a chronograph. I don't know what the velocities were. I don't know what the components were. Um, but I do know that, obviously, back then, there were really no choke tubes being used. The guns we were using were still the fixed folds okay. or the fixed modifieds. And, you know, the 870 Wingmasters or the Model 12s or the whatevers, mm. right? The Mossbergs. Um, so I can't really say back then what the culprit was, but it was not good. Mm. Okay. And I think a lot of it had to do with choke. Um, but I also think it had a lot to do with component. And as you know, or may not know, a lot of people don't know. After just a few short years, Bismuth went away. And we never saw it again. It was over in the UK. It was over in, you know, over the pond and stuff. You heard of people using it on pheasant and stuff over there, but you didn't see it here anymore. And then all of a sudden it started to reappear here. And then, you know, boss is who I remember sort of really um, bringing it to fruition again. And then, you know, everybody else is there. Kent, um, the other companies jumped on and, 
I started shooting it, started testing it. I have a lot of friends that are big time duck hunters that shoot it religiously from all different companies. And I never found bismuth to fragment or fracture or, you know, whatever people want to say it is. The only time I ever saw any um, fragmentation that had to do with it being a brittle material is after it hit bone in a bird. Mm. And in my opinion, I don't really care because, I mean, people may care about, you know, their teeth or something, but, you know, we get that with steel shot too, right? right? Nothing worse than steel on a tooth. Right. Um, I've seen some fragmentation where it hit bone and broke, but very seldom. And in my opinion, I don't really care about if a pellet fragments after it hits a bone because the bird's already dead from right. all the other pellets that right. made it to the vitals. So in my opinion, it's a, it's a mute point. Who cares? Right. right. If, if, if it somehow crazily like broke in the choke and came out, like instead of being a number four, it came out as a number 10 shot and never hit the bird. Well, of course that would be an issue, right? Right. right. <laughs> because we would never kill anything. That's not the truth. Right. It's not the fact. It does not do that. Okay. Um, so as far as fragmenting, that's that's a mute point with bismuth. It means nothing. The bird's already dead from the pellets that went into the vitals. And if you find a couple of fragmented pellets in the bone, who cares? Right. Some people have some people, meaning a couple people and the thousands of people that I deal with on a daily basis, say that they've seen on paper when they pattern bismuth that there's some fragmented pieces on the paper but i haven't seen it mm -hmm. so i'm not saying it's never happened it doesn't happen but what i am saying is it doesn't matter because the minute fraction of a percentage it doesn't have any effect on the final outcome of the bird mm -hmm. so for the for the price savings you're getting compared to some of the steel shot out there it's worth the money for people that are shooting birds past 30 yards on a steadily basis mm -hmm. you know and and we could talk about those factors and ballistics on on the steel the bismuth the heavy shot the tungsten the heavyweight 13 the spheros 15. i mean we could talk days about all this um what it really means what's smart um, but everybody has, has a different depth pocket also. Right. And we also all have different necessities and we all do things at different levels, right? Mm -hmm. We've got the weekend warriors. We've got the ham and eggers. We've got the people that are doing it 260 days a year that make a living, you know, out of it. So we've got all different levels of hunting, just like clay target shooting or anything else that we do in life, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So maybe we can, I'm just curious. We talked about the best load setup for steel and what you like. What do you think the best load setup for bismuth is that um, you, you personally based on, seen? Based, based on my, uh, are we talking about companies or are we just talking shot sizes? No, velocities? just, yeah, that right there, the second. So, so basically every, every, shotgun shell that I've ever tested, um, whether it be steel, lead, bismuth, tungsten, doesn't matter. The sweet spot in velocity is 1160 to 1260 feet per second. Wow. Okay. For everything across the board. For everything. Wow. Okay. But the thing is, most ammo companies don't make things like that anymore because of the whole marketing thing that's taken place. So now the bismuth loads vary from 1350 up to like 1500, mm -hmm. right? The problem is the moment that you exceed, I'm going to say 1350, and it doesn't matter if it's bismuth, steel, lead, tungsten. I'm just going to say this as a blanket statement. The moment you exceed 1350 feet per second, things become much slower, much faster because of Newton's third law, right? Mm -hmm. The faster it starts out, the faster it slows down. Murphy's law, mm -hmm. every, every action is an opposite and equal reaction. Mm -hmm. So if it starts out really fast, 
Well, then the rate at which it slows down is faster. It's multiplied. It's not the same as if it starts out at 1,100 feet per second, it's going to slow down the same way something starts out at 1,700. Mm. It's not. It can't, right? Mm. So what happens is when you start out really fast, it slows down sooner. But what happens is it spreads out very quickly. And this is the point that's most important. I don't really care about velocity as far as speed, um, energy, and speed drop-off. What I care more about is how many pellets don't hit the target because it started out too fast. That's the, that's the key factor. Right. And this is the thing that I think most people don't talk about or teach because everybody out there I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people out there, they think that they need to shoot the tightest choke made. Yeah. And they think they need to shoot the fastest speed available because they truly think that speed is what's going to kill the bird. And like we talked about last podcast, Red Rider BB gun, 365 feet per second. Right. Right. I've killed more stuff with that than I could fit in this room. Right. Okay. So I've shot plenty of duck sized birds with my pellet gun. Um, I've shot goose sized birds with my pelican. Mm -hmm. I've shot raccoons. I've shot coyotes. I've shot Fox. I've shot a lot of things with air guns and those air guns never exceeded 950 feet per second. Mm. So why is it? And I'm not shooting stuff at 20 yards. Okay. I'm shooting stuff at 110. Right. So why is it that ammo companies are, claiming that you need to shoot 1500 feet per second to kill a duck. Mm. It's nonsense. And it's not nonsense because they're lying. It's just like you said, they don't understand the facts because they've never had anybody teach it to them. Mm -hmm. So what they're doing, they're most of the companies out there just copying, they're playing follow the leader, right? Yeah. So there's always going to be leaders in every sport, every industry. So they're just following what's happening. Yeah. And then, like I discussed back 10, 15 years ago, when the price of alloys went through the roof, the ammo companies took some pellets out of the shell, started using lighter payloads. They started increasing velocity with the mm. cheapest component, which is powder. And they started marketing hypervelocity and speed kill slogans. And they laughed all the way to the bank at our expense. So it's not that they lied. It's just that they were smart. Right. Yeah. They're, they're in business to make money. So they're in business to make money. They made ammo that worked good enough for 90% of the hunters and they marketed it because it made sense for them. They, they, it's easier to load a one ounce or an ounce and a quarter load than it is an ounce and three eighths. Mm -hmm. Right. When it comes to steel, when you start to load an ounce and three eighths in a three inch hull, it barely fits. You've got to have the right hull, the right depth, the right wad, the right powder, the right amount of grains of powder to fit it. It's that critically close mm. to fitting in a hull. If you go bigger than number four shot size in steel, it becomes even bigger volume, which means it's very difficult. It's almost impossible to fit an ounce and three eighths of a number one or number BB mm. into a three inch hull. You really, you really can't do it unless you're really crunching the crimp and almost buckling the hull. Mm. Okay. If you take all the manufacturers out there with round pellets and steel, it doesn't matter who it is. And it's claims to be an ounce and three eighths of a number one or a BB. If you pour those out and weigh them, you're going to see it's closer to an ounce and a quarter. It's not going to be ounce and three eighths. It may be an ounce and five sixteenths, about 1.31. Okay. Even though they're claim, even though they're claiming ounce and three eighths, you're saying it's not. Even though they're claiming it. And the reason they're claiming is because their machines are set up to drop that much and they're trying to put that much in. But the fact is they just can't really fit it. Mm. Right. I've never, ever to this day, cut open an ounce and three eighths steel BB and had it weigh oh, yeah. ounce and three eighths of pellets. Yeah. Never. The, with, with the exception of um, Winchester blindside, because they have the stack pellets, they fit it. Okay. But as we spoke of a square pellet is a spreader. So I'm not a big fan of that. 
So yeah, yeah you get an ounce and three eighths of pellets. But the problem is if you're shooting beyond 35, 40 yards, then it's the pattern so wide open. It's really hard to kill stuff. So mm. I'm not a big fan of that. So do you, so you're like, let's say for business, I guess. So your load is basically the same that you like through any type tungsten bismuth steel. Is it kind of like a, it's not. Okay. So what's your favorite for no. bismuth? So, so as far as payload and velocity, those two things yeah. are the most critical, right? Yeah. Well, there's three things that are most critical pellet size, pellet material, right? Mm -hmm. And then of course that goes into payload and velocity, right? So the velocity, like I said, the ultimate velocity physics wise and ballistics wise, 1160 to 1260 okay. is the best. Of course, there's no ammo, no ammo, manu, ammo blah, there's no ammo manufacturer in the world that's making a steel load 1250 feet mm, per right, second, right? right? So everything is 1300 or faster, okay. with the exception of a night a Remington Nitro steel two and three quarter inch, which if you can find it, it's 1275 out of a two and three quarter inch ounce and a quarter, huh. which by the way is incredible. Okay, okay? enough said about that. Every three inch shell or three and a half inch 12 gauge shell starts at 1300 and there's only four companies that make it and it goes up from there. And the average is 1450. Okay. And a lot of them go beyond that. Right. So I'm not sitting here telling anybody that you're not going to kill stuff with 1700 right. feet per second or right. 1550 or 1450. 1450 ounce and a quarter. There's a company that makes that steel load. It's a beautiful load. It's a great company, great components. It's very consistent. But the downside is it's ounce and a quarter. So it's easy to load for them, but it's not an ounce and three eighths. So you got a little less pellets than you could have. But the problem is when the velocity exceeds that 1300 feet per second, it starts to spread out fast, mm -hmm. right? So yeah, 1450 isn't extremely faster or an extreme amount of, of speed beyond 1300, but it's enough to make a difference, a negative difference. So, so when it comes to steel, that's, that's the big deal, right? Then when it comes to bismuth, because bismuth is halfway between steel and lead, as far as weight, mm -hmm. you can fit more weight into the shell, but because the pellets are heavier than steel, you're going to get less pellets per ounce, right? Yeah. Just like you're yeah. going to get less pellets per ounce of lead mm. and you're going to get way less pellets per ounce of TSS. Okay. So with bismuth, you get a happy medium. You get a lot of pellets per ounce because it's not as heavy as lead, right? Yeah. So you're getting more pellets than lead, but you're getting less than steel. But because they are heavier and they retain more energy than steel, people are seeing much better knockdown than with steel. Mm. Okay. Especially if you're shooting past that 25, 30 yard mark. And you'll hear me say that 25, 30 yard mark a lot because it's sort of a magic number. Right. You know, what I've always taught my friends and everybody else is that if you're shooting inside 25 yards, it really doesn't matter what you're shooting. And I know a lot of choke companies and a lot of ammo companies will bite their lip and not like me saying that. And they won't like me for saying that, but I'm a choke manufacturer. I make my living selling chokes. That's the only thing I do. So, but I'm here to tell you that inside 25 yards duck hunting, it really doesn't matter what choke you're using or what ammo you're using. The duck is going to die if you're on it. Mm -hmm. Okay. But with that said, that goes into a whole nother discussion about people over choking and people using too big of a shot size. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's another thing we could talk days about. So the whole, I don't like to use the word sickness or anything, but the whole mismarketing of this whole hyper velocity speed killed slogan yeah. thing that we've gotten into over the last 10, 15 years, the reason that hurts us as hunters so badly and clay target shooters so badly is because the main reason people were not killing birds at extended yardage was a lot to do with the wrong pellet size and the wrong velocity. Mm. And then the choke tube is the final thing that contacts the shot 
which is one of the most critical components to the whole equation, right? So a lot of people over the last years have had too light of a payload, too fast of a velocity, and the wrong choke tube. So those three things are critically important, mm-hmm. but they've been doing it the opposite direction. So the smallest pellet size that'll get the job done is going to give us the most amount of pellets on the target, regardless of distance. Okay. I know we can't be shooting a really tiny pellet at a very far distance to the point where it doesn't even penetrate through the feathers. I get that. That goes without saying it's common sense. It's obvious, right? But if we can shoot a bismuth number six or a bismuth number five, and we can penetrate into the vitals on a duck at 40 or 45 yards, whereas a steel number six will not do that, then we've got an advantage of using bismuth over steel, Mm -hmm. right? And for the couple bucks more a box, it's certainly worth it because we're going to be shooting less ammo to put the bird down and finish the bird. It's going to be more ethical. So this is the reason that a lot of people are moving to the bismuth thing because they are seeing results of that. Right. Now, with that said, understand that last time that the National Shooting Sports Foundation and other people have done surveys, as well as myself, talking to thousands of people all over the country, 88% last time I did this study, 88% of duck hunters do not pull a trigger past 35 yards. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, I also know that a very high percentage of hunters do not understand what yardage really is. Right. Because I have two range finders in my shell bag with me at all times. And I have played around with them for countless hours, Right. not only in clay targets and patterning, but also archery Mm -hmm. as well as duck hunting. Mm -hmm. And throughout the year, when I'm out on my deck here drinking coffee, I've got my vortex range finder on me. And I'm range finding seagulls at 300 yards in the air flying. I'm range finding birds in the mud. I'm range finding cormorants in my creek. I'm range finding things constantly. Just like some people have a duck call around their neck all the time or in their car all the time. I have a range finder on me all the time. Okay. So I know distance. And with all the people I've hunted with over the years, there are only a couple people that have gotten yardage right when I've asked them. And I'm talking like way off, like people that are in the industry that are big time hunters that do it for a living. Hey man, how far is that? How far is that sandpiper? Oh, it's 50 yards. It's like 30. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. I'm like not even close. And this happens all the time. So when people come to me and they're like, I want the tightest choke you make. And I'm like, well, what are you hunting? And they're like, well, I'm shooting snow geese with steel BB. And I want a UFO. And I'm like, no, you don't. And they're like, yeah, I do. I need the tightest pattern that there is. And I'm like, well, that's not going to give you that. And number one, how far are you shooting? Oh man, we get everything with their feet and the decoys. We're not shooting mm-hmm. past 25 yards. Yeah. And I'm like, Okay, so then why do you want a tight choke? And they're like, because that's the only thing that'll put them down. And I'm like, who taught you that? I'm like, at 25 yards on a snow goose, I could shoot steel fours with a ski choke and obliterate them. I could take the choke tube out of my barrel and shoot threads and kill them. I'm like, Mm -hmm. so why do you need the tightest choke made? Oh, well, you know, they don't have an answer. And the reason they don't have an answer is because they've heard it from somebody else yeah. and they just keep spewing it forward to everybody they know. So the fact is they don't really know why they want it. They just know they want it. And the reason they think they want it is because of all the hype marketing and false advertising that's been stuffed on our throats mm-hmm. for so long Yeah, coming from people that don't know the truth or the facts. Right. And that's why it's really I'm passionate about trying to help people and teach people not to sell my chokes. Yeah, I do right, fine. Right. I don't need to sell, you know, more chokes through marketing or hype. I'm selling chokes because I'm honest and teaching people and my product works. That's it. It's a mm-hmm. plain, simple equation. Mm-hmm. So, so that it's why I'm writing a book on shotgunning ballistics. I want to teach you? people. When's you know, that going to be ready? 
yeah, I can't get my word out to enough people to right. teach everybody the truth. Well, because you're passionate about it and you've done it your yeah. whole life and you love it. And I just, I think too, part of it's you have that brain that works that way and you know that geometry and it's intriguing. Plus it's, it's how you've, something you've done your whole life. So it's enjoyable. I, I enjoy listening to it. I enjoy hearing about it. It all makes sense and it's all proven. Like you said, it's not you making something up or trying to blow smoke and sell something that's not true. It's proven, you know, yep, you've absolutely. showed it, you've tested it. Yep. Um, it. And it's hard. It's hard to teach people because they're so loyal to what they know. Yeah. They don't want it. They don't yeah. want change, right? If we it's, like if it's work for you, why do you want to change it? Right. That's yeah. kind of our mindset. Yep. We, we don't like change. And when we find something that works, why would we want to change it? Mm -hmm. Well, if we only knew that there's something so much better there for us, we would make the change. But the problem is we don't believe it. So the reason that I offer my warranty is because I want people to try it. I mm -hmm. want people to see the difference. And if you don't see a difference, I'm okay with that. But I know you're going to. You know, and that, that's why I started this whole thing, like 60 day money back guarantee from when you start to pull a trigger, because I have so many people when I do shows, they're like, I'm at a show in, in June, you know, and I'm like 60 day money back guarantee. And they laugh. They're like, yeah, well, I'm not going to use it till December. And I'm like, it's okay. You know, it starts from when you pull a trigger two months, you shoot it for two full months. If you don't think it's the best in the world, or you don't think it's better than what you've ever had. I'll give your money back. No questions asked. I just want you to try it. And then in that 60 days, I do a free constriction exchange. So let's say you buy the UFO because you want the tightest mm -hmm. choke that's there, the tightest pattern. And you realize it doesn't give you that, or it gives you a pattern that's way tighter than you've ever seen before. And you can't hit anything and you want a decoy choke. Well, I'm just going to swap it for free. That way you get what's best for you, right? It's no cost mm -hmm. off of my back. I right. want you to have the best. And then after that, I do the lifetime replacement warranty. If you drop it on the warehouse floor and run it over with a tow motor and flatten it, I'll give you a new one. You know, stuff happens, accidents happen. Mm. So I don't want you to ever be stuck with anything you're not happy with. And I want to make sure that you have the best of what I have for you mm -hmm. because everybody's different. And the reason that this is so important to me is because, like I said, most people out there are shooting way too tight of a constriction or they're shooting the wrong choke and wrong ammo combination based on their style of hunting or their species or their distance or their weather or their scenario. And I want to make sure that they have the option to try different things to find what really works mm -hmm. rather than what they think works. Yep. So <clears throat> Jim, so, I know you've been saying it kind of, but just so some people that can say, okay, this is what he said. And not saying, not saying you're saying, if you don't shoot this, you're, you're crazy outside of what you're saying. We're just, I know people want to know, I'm curious too, what is your bismuth load look like? I kind of think I, you've kind of said it in different parts. So, but. so my bismuth load is going to be on all my puddle ducks, meaning any puddle duck, mm -hmm. wood duck, teal, ringnecks, widgeon, gadwall, mallards, black ducks, okay? If I'm hunting in the marsh or if I'm hunting, hunting anywhere other than open water, I'm going to be shooting my decoy choke with bismuth number fives or a three-five blend. Okay. It's going to be two and three-quarter <clears throat> inch for the most part. Okay. If it's going to be a nasty day, windy day, I'll move to the three, five and a three inch. Okay. That's it. Okay. Simple. Yeah. Simple. Well, and what's the feet per second on that? 1350. 1350. Okay. Um, other companies make it, other companies make some good loads. There are some good patterning loads out there, but the problem is with the higher velocities that those other companies make it at, it opens up too much past 35 yards. Mm -hmm. And I'm a duck hunter and I know a lot of people give me slack and beat me up over it, but I'm a duck hunter that because of where I live and the type of hunting I do in the Northeast, I do a lot of sea duck hunting on mm -hmm. big eider, scoter, old squaw, mm -hmm. golden eye. I'm hunting a lot of birds in open water that do not like to die. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> okay? Right. And, and a lot of these birds, if you knock them down and they dive, 
you will not see them again. Right, right. They, they'll dive, they'll swim 75 yards, they'll put their beak out of the water, yep. take a breath of air, and go another 75 yards. Try seeing a beak sticking out of the water at 75 With yards. With chop on the water. In a two-foot yeah. two chop with white caps. Yeah, yeah so, we hunted old squat, and it I've never seen nothing that can swim like an old squat. It's actually mind-blowing. Yep. You almost, if you didn't see it, you wouldn't even believe it. Exactly. And, um, you know, if you do get a shot at them after they're crippled, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll just stick the cap of their head up out of the water and then they'll dive again. So you literally have a target size of a quarter. Yeah. Okay. So I always want to make sure that if I'm hunting open water, sea ducks, divers, even if I'm in open water on a breakwater or an island, and I know I'm going to be hunting black ducks and mallards and gadwall and ball pate. Um, I also know that these birds are not going to finish like they do in a marsh or in the timber or in a cornfield. These birds are going to want to land outside the decoys and swim in. Mm -hmm. It's what they do. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's big water hunting. Unless you're out there in a layout boat with long lines and decoy rafts to finish them down a channel. I get it. It's different. I do all of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But when I go out, open water, I'm going to use my passing choke. I'm going to either use bismuth three fives or number fours, straight fours, um, even straight number threes, or I'm going to be shooting my TSS. That's it. Nothing in between. I go from either bismuth or I go straight to TSS for open water. Mm. And, um, you know, two in the last two years alone, I've shot a hundred pounds of TSS. Jeez. And is it and, is it cheaper? Is it true that it's I mean, is it quite a bit significantly cheaper you loading it yourself like you do for it is for me, yes. Okay. Um, but you know, I mean, that's not something most people can do. Yeah. Right. And and to be honest with you, if you're not gonna do it on a if you're not gonna use it a lot like I do, yeah, and you're not <clears> gonna be on a big scale and you're not gonna use it for part of your business. Um, there's really no advantageous yes. way of saying, well, instead of paying $10 a shell, I'm going to reload it for seven. Yeah. <laughs> you you're know? right. No, I'm like, just curious. Like, yeah. Is your time worth nothing? No. Yeah. You know? Right. So, no, I was just out of curiosity. I was wondering how much you're really saving there. The reason <laughs> that I really do it is because I can't get the load that I want because it's not made. Gotcha. Gotcha. Simple. Yeah. yeah. You know? I mean, that, that's why companies like Boss did what they did, right? Mm -hmm. Like they couldn't buy what they wanted. So they started reloading their own and then everybody loved it and it turned it into a business, mm -hmm. right? So that, that's how things happen. And then you get people that follow that and try to make something different to sell more of it. And, you know, that's how the market goes. Mm. So the reason I load TSS is because I make it the way I want to make it and yeah. I can change things. <clears throat> if I want, if I want my wife to shoot it on a hunt, I'll load an ounce and three eighths at, you know, 1200 feet per second. It's like, it's like shooting a target load, but you shoot an eider at 60 yards and it's like he hit a freaking wall. He's dead. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Then she can shoot it comfortably. She doesn't yeah. have to get rocked by an ounce and five eighths at, you know, 1250. Yeah. So, so I can modify my loads based on the hunting scenario. Hmm. You know. So, as far we're still stay on bismuth a little bit longer, but as far as penetration and pass through with bismuth, what have you seen? For me, just real quick, and this is I haven't done obviously not even close to the testing that you have, but I rarely find shot in my birds when I'm shooting business, right? Because it's going through. And that's another thing I feel like is like, say if I shoot a bird and I kind of get a little bit far back, but I know it's passing through. Maybe I didn't lead the bird enough, but it's passing through. It's hitting some vitals, organs, whatever. And you think, oh man, that bird, I didn't hit that bird good. And he's kind of doing this and he hits the water. By the time my dog gets that bird and comes back, that bird's stone dead. Yeah. And and, and yeah. You, I never seen that with still. I've never, never nope. seen that with still. So, nope. I mean, have you done any type of like penetration and pass through testing and or gel or anything like that? Yeah, I I didn't do gel with bismuth. I did gel back in the day with lead target loads and steel shot. Um, but the thing about bismuth is there's a lot of studies and tests out there that people have done already with penetration mm -hmm. and all that. 
and it clearly out-penetrates steel shot, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so here's the big thing, getting back to the velocity thing, right? So the whole statement I made about inside 25 yards, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're shooting steel, tin, bismuth, lead, TSS. Inside 25 yards, it's going to die, right? Mm-hmm. So the reason that you will see a lot of penetration with steel shot inside 25 yards is because of the velocity, mm-hmm. right? Because it hasn't had time to start slowing down yet. So it's still really fast and you get a lot of over penetration, which is great. Okay. Nothing wrong with over penetration. We're not shooting a single projectile that we're looking for mushrooming on a big game. Right. right? So, so the reason that a lot of people like high velocity is because they're shooting at close distance. They don't need a lot of lead, which helps people that are not really great wing shooters. Their hit to miss ratio goes up with faster velocity at close distance. And the penetration is always going to be more than needed. So the bird's going to die. So it doesn't matter that they shot steel or bismuth or whatever. Right. So the value of bismuth comes in when you start to exceed that threshold. And that threshold for me is 35 yards, mm-hmm. right? So if I'm a duck hunter where I know I'm going to be shooting divers or I know that I'm going to be pulling the trigger past 35 yards, I am immediately going to think in my head, you know what? I don't want to shoot steel because I know I'm going to be shooting at extended yardage, mm-hmm. right? And extended yardage is going to be more ethical with something that's heavier like bismuth. So I'm going to pay the extra money. I'm going to go with bismuth. I can readily get it. It's readily available. And I could get whatever shot size I want. Mm -hmm. So if I want to shoot birds close and I want to hunt teal and wood ducks tomorrow, I'm going to use sixes or fives. If I'm going to go out and hunt big open water, I'm going to shoot three, five or threes or fours. Mm -hmm. Right. But at least I know that I've got the ballistic equivalent that's going to be able to do it and get the job done. (laughs) 